0: Is joining in and he's seen Martin Neri. Extraordinary set it for Saliva. Bukai Osaka beaten out by the race and touched in
1: by Jesus. Bukai Osaka.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bruised Banana FC podcast. I'm your host, Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. And I think it's safe to say that this weekend was a massive disappointment after Arsenal blew the second two-gold lead in a matter of weeks and dropped two really frustrating points at West Ham on Sunday. There's no really easy way to rationalize or explain away this performance like we could last week at Anfield. So I I think the best way to say my emotions is that this one just sucks. It, it was something that was extremely frustrating because of the way that we gifted them a goal when we were 2-1 up. We brought the crowd and the team back into it unnecessarily. How casual we were when we were 2-0 no up and how you know it felt once we went 2-2 two, two, that in my mind we weren't ever going to get that third. It was a lot of hope and, and praying and from Arteta's substitutions down to what we saw on the pitch, it was a lot of you know, fingers crossed, let's see if this work works. But in reality, we all knew that it wasn't going to. Um, But I think perspective does matter. And maybe you don't want to hear this, but I think, you know, we still are in the driver's seat for the title and we still have everything to play for. The season's not over. The title challenge is not over. Our margin for error has completely vanished. But that does not mean, you know, that we cannot go on, on another run like we have. You know, Everything is to play for still. I still have belief in the team, I have belief in the manager, I have belief in the players that we're going to respond from this. It's just a matter of turning that belief in what I know the players still have belief in, and Arteta has belief in his players, and turning that into a performance on the pitch. And so with me today to discuss this is Luke, you can find on Twitter, at Echol Kuhn. Luke, how are you? Well, it's a
2: Monday for stars, and it's the Monday after Arsenal have dropped massive, massive points. It's not the best, but... Um, uh I still think that we have a nice kind of room to to believe. We've still got a lot to play for the season. It's similar to what you were saying. We just have to, you know, we look to Friday, which is now the biggest game of our season at this point in time. And we've got to make sure we do the business there that we haven't done in the last two games.
0: And also with me today is Ben. You can find him on Twitter at BenBrowning3. Ben, how's it going?
1: Yeah, um, I was just laughing there because I was thinking if you told me 18 months ago that Southampton at home was our biggest game of the season, I'd be really worried about which direction the club had gone in. Um,
2: but Life comes I, at you first.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm doing better than you two and a lot of people on social media, um, from what I've seen anyway. I agree, I think there's still stuff to play for, but maybe I'd privately conceded the idea. Uh, maybe it was a case of getting myself, protecting myself so that I can't get hurt by this football club, but um, I don't know, last week hurt a lot more for me than this week, um, even though this week maybe felt more final.
0: Yeah, let's let's dig into that. So, you know, where this comes from is, you know, before the podcast kind of asked everybody how they were feeling. And, and Ben, you said that you were a lot more disappointed in the result against Liverpool than this result. Um, you kind of hinted at that. Is that because you went on the podcast in our in our Anfield preview and said Liverpool aren't very good. And he had that bold prediction. And then when it came was, back, you were like, I right. oh, they, weren't, they weren't very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Until, yeah. you
1: know, for half an hour, we outplayed them. And, you know, we were good value for our 2 lead. It could have been 3-4. And then we took our foot off the gas and everyone will dispute which of the key turning points was, in fact, the key turning point. Or, oh, well, you know, make one up in the case of Xhaka. Um, and then we let them back into the game. You get the crowd onside, and then we just sort of stopped playing football. And it was largely the same this week. You know, that the blueprint is there where we flew out the traps and then we got, whether we got cocky or whether we thought, you know, it was done at two nil after 10 minutes. um, I don't know, but it just felt like the same complacency crept in. And then when it got to two, two, it was sort of a, as you say, it never really looked like scoring. We, chucked on reese nelson we chucked on um fabio vieira we chucked on trossard and uh jorginho but there was just no control no fluency it was sort of hoping for a moment of magic which in t- we have produced this season like you know whether you talk about villa or bournemouth you know there have been those moments where you think this is our season we're going to win the league this season because we've produced these moments of that really defy what you'd expect but this felt like it was always coming if we can't control games from, you know, 60 minutes to 90 minutes, or in this case, from, what was it minute 25 to minute 70 or whatever
0: it was? So, Luke, I want to start this off kind of with the emotions because I think it's, it's hard to analyze what happened on the pitch without kind of setting the stage for all you know, the context and the emotion. And I know as a fan, we feel this like existential dread and, and despair about the way this match went because it feels like that's the you know the curtain closed on our title challenge and even though we are four points clear we know this team was never going to be perfect and we were kind of hoping that our drop points may come later in the league when they're or later in the season when you know maybe city had also dropped points or we had already gotten through the city game and things had gotten clearer and, and maybe we were all just hoping that If the title challenge went to the last two or three matches and we dropped points and it went away, then maybe that would be better. But because it's happened now with seven matches to go, it it feels like we're throwing it away at the very beginning of the run-in, if that makes sense. And you know let's you know i want to talk a little bit about the you know, pressure and whether the f- you know the fans obviously feel the pressure if the players feel the pressure but what, just what are your emotions around sitting down watching that match for the 90 minutes and, and what transpired i
2: think frustration is is the big one you feel a bit dejected it's odd because we've seen west ham this season and they've been really poor this season we know how well we've done in away games. We had a perfect record in away games, um, uh, like away in London. Um, two 0 up, start of the game. Everything just felt like it was business as usual. And you'd like to think that after the Liverpool game, we'd, be a bit more committed and consistent to being switched on, but we weren't. And I think it's it's the fashion of it. It's, it's not just the fact that we dropped points against a poor team this season. It's not just a, that we dropped points against a team that had pay, played midweek football as well, where we had like a four week to prepare. It wasn't the frustration just that we'd thrown away a two-goal lead in literally the game before this game. It's the fact that we were in the position again and all we had to do was be consistent and respect how we play and respect the opposition and it just felt like that didn't happen and Arteta I think explained it really well after the game when he said that we started doing things that we just didn't program ways we haven't um, been playing all season it's just if you're going to drop points in a title race in what is now the run-in, then this is the worst way to do it because it's not down to a lack of talent and it's not because we didn't kind of show up on the day in general because for the first 20 minutes 2-0 up we did show up because we did what we had to do but then after the whole game changed I think that you could see um, Arteta very visibly screaming at party to do things quicker move the ball quicker you know you, you can make excuses like Obviously, I, I think it is probably a handball for Declan Rice to take the ball off of party, which then resulted in the penalty. I think that probably is a handball. But at the same time, they should never be in that position. When you're standing outside your your box on a ball and Declan Rice is running at you, you don't try and do like a fancy flick to flick it away from him. It's just it's so frustrating that we can rightly say such great things about this team that we've connected with over the last kind of like two years or so and we can be in such an incredible position and be having such an incredible season to the point where even if we were to finish second it's still a season that no one thought we were going to have and if you're going to not beat city which is completely understandable because they're a phenomenal team but if you're going to not beat city don't do it like this you know if they're going to pip you to it then don't do it. Don't don't look back at games like this where you were 2-0 up and you just turned it off because you thought you could. For me, it's the fact that we weren't outplayed. We just stopped. And and for me that is the, the most frustrating part. If you
1: want a um, comforting stat, I was doing some research on this earlier. For City to win the Premier League if Arsenal was to now go perfect, um, they need to go 24 games unbeaten since their defeat against brentford just before the world cup which would be uh their new record for the most games unbeaten in a single season
0: that's so, if arsenal
2: win yeah, every game other than the if City arsenal game.
1: win every game yeah so you know Interesting. there's hope i'm not saying you know no one's going to sit here and say we're out of the title race you know we can say if Saliba doesn't come back or if Zinchenko's injured for longer than maybe, but like, I don't know, it feels it feels like we're not maybe used to being in these sorts of positions as a team and as a fan base where we just got to hold our nerve because I always thought if we were going to win the title, this sort of period would come. I thought it would come a bit later. I thought it would come, you know, St. James's Park. I thought we'd drop points, for instance, but... City's harder games are towards the end of the season when they've got Brentford on the last day of the season, they've got Brighton. Um, So I think that there are still plenty of points to be dropped by both sides, potentially. It's just we've sort of handed them the initiative, I guess, even though technically we're still in control.
0: Yeah, it does feel like momentum. You can't quantify it, but momentum, even though City are four points behind us it seems like momentum is in their favor that we're kind of reeling and they are you know keep building you know obviously they played Liverpool they played Bayern Munich and yes they had Leicester and that was a relatively easy game and you saw what they were able to do go 3-0 up and then be, be able to even though they were under a lot of pressure in the second half and Leicester got a goal like that's what you know the difference I'm sure we'll talk about in a second between a two-goal lead and a three-goal lead something that maybe has gone unnoticed this season is how we haven't been perfect in terms of cleaning up and having a composed second half. It's just been, we've had three goal, a three goal lead. So when they, you know, they score, it becomes three, one where, you know, it's not as much of a squeaky bum time as it is when it's a two, one. And, and so I think that's something that obviously this team is young and we talk about that a lot. And Luke, I want to ask you do you think that age specifically is something that does play a really big impact in this run in? And a lot of people talk about, you know, expectations that we weren't expected to be here and now we are. And to me, I kind of feel like, because at at least in in my point of view, I don't think it's necessarily age matters. I I think in this match, a a lot of our most experienced players were the ones that kind of let us down. We're, We're talking about Thomas party there. Like, He's nearly 30 years old and he's played a world of football and he's been in extreme stress situations. We talk about Saka missing a penalty. Like You can't tell me just because he's young he hasn't been in high-pressure situations. When you're playing in the World Cup, when you're in the Eurofinals, you've played as much first-team football for Arsenal. Yes, he's young. He's still played a lot. You know, other guys like Martinelli, like Gabry, you know, our team is young, but they are extremely experienced and that's why we're in the position that we are. I guess, kind of, you know, talking about you know, this building expectations, Luke. Like, what is your, you know, kind of thoughts on, you know, why two matches in a row we've kind of not had the composure to see that see it out?
2: Experience is definitely a factor because, at the end of the day, I've one thing I've said before is that I think the fact that we're doing what we're doing with the second youngest squad in the league isn't really getting the airtime it deserves in the media. I think it's something that is pretty astounding to be honest. And I think that comes with the fact that with some of these players like the Sackers and, uh, and the Martinelli's, you have to accept if they have an off day because they're still learning their trade and they're, they need to be led by, play, by the uh, the older players. But it is literally the the Thomas Parties, the Granite Jackers, the players like that, that the, the, the players that haven't really stepped up like they should in the last two games, some of them in, in different areas, that you think I, I understand that you know granite Xhaka has never been in a in a title race so he's an experienced player and he's a very intelligent player but this is probably still something that he's not really used to i don't know if um he had someone at, at basel or something like that but like g- generally at this level is it's not something he's competed at at this point in time thomas party is obviously um uh, played for atletico madrid so he's kind of experienced in this and Chenko and Jesus have played for City so there's experience there so you expect these players to lead the way and I think that over the last two games they haven't really done that and you know it happens no player is perfect it does you know you can't expect somebody perfect for a whole season at this point in time in terms of like Saka this is the first penalty he's missed for Arsenal and it was a bad miss but it is what it is do you know what I mean like he's not going to score every penalty he takes even after that miss he still missed less penalties this season than most Salah so I think as long as you're kind of looking in, in, in the realm of that statistic, he's still doing pretty well. But um, it did feel huge. And um, similar yeah, to I mean, the Liverpool game where, you know, we're, G- Gabriel could have put us 3-1 up, Saka put us 3-1 up. It's a very different game. It's, it was fine margins and the margins didn't go away and we didn't help ourselves. So, you know, we have to look at ourselves first and foremostly and figure out what we can do to to kind of make these margins go in our favour because literally over the last two games, we've the opportunities have been there and we haven't put them away.
0: I think, you know, there's a reason that penalties are not, you know, using statistics, a XG of one, you know, it's like seven or eight expected goals because they get missed. I mean, probably more frequently than people like to like to think. And I think, you know, the narrative around the because Saka miss is just purely like timing wise, the fact that they, they went up and equalized, I think it was 142 seconds after Saka missed a penalty that, uh, you know, that was a huge momentum shift in their favor. And then, they got the ultimate reward for that. And, you know, say that equalized 15 minutes later, like, yes, we would have been talking about Kaia missing the penalty, but it would not have felt as, I guess, instrumental and in, in as, like, that is the moment that the match turned and was never, you know, the momentum was never going to come back in Arsenal's favor. But then I think I want to take a step back and kind of talk about the first 15 minutes in which you know, Arsenal were flying. We, we were messaging in our, our WhatsApp group that, like, we just looked incredible and it was in a, in a way day in a, in a London Derby, you kind of want a a West Ham team that they've not been good. They played, they have, you know, they're in Europe. They played a a difficult, maybe not difficult, but a, they had a European tie on Thursday. And, you know, they're the way to kind of put the crowd and, and put the game away early is to score and kind of exert our dominance early on and not let them get into that. And so, when we were up two 0 and within ten minutes, I, along with probably the entire West Ham home crowd, was like, "All right, this game's over. Should we, you know, let's focus on the Conference League on Thursday. You know, like we've, we're we're trying to, you know, potentially win a European trophy, which would be huge for that club." And I think, I, I guess, like let's talk through the first ten minutes. Like, what worked so well against West Ham coming out the block out of the, out of the block so quickly? what didn't work well
1: um (laughs) everything was working um gabriel jesus was everywhere i mean i just yeah i don't know what he gets told before he goes onto the pitch but he he was popping up a right back he was playing as defensive midfielder he was you know popping up on the left wing right wing wherever he fancied going it was just sort of like there and it meant it gave the rest time defenders a real headache because they sort of wanted someone to mark, but sometimes it was Jesus, it was uh Jacca and Martinelli. At one point I'm pretty sure Kieran Tierney ended up up there. Um we were we our rotations were working really well. We were working the wide channels really well as well. And that ball to the back post was working to uh Cara and Cresswell's side. You know, we were getting down there time and time again. And we were this is the thing, we were fully deserving of a 2-0 lead. And simultaneously, we didn't deserve to win that game, which tells you so much about where it all went wrong, you know? It was just everything... We, we we were two, three steps ahead of West Ham, almost to the point where, you know, the commentators were saying it was like a training game, and I think Arsenal sort of took their foot off the gas, and then once you take your foot off the gas, it's so hard to get it back on again, you know? Like, as soon as you go, ah, fuck, we've conceded, or, you know, we've done something stupid... Then you saw Thomas Party start panicking. He had a terrible second half of the half of the first half. Um, you know, you see people like Saka, who was doing fine, you know, starting to struggle, and Erdogan picking up the ball and trying to do the same normal things, but they weren't coming off, and it just felt like there was a whole shift, whether that was because Arsenal dropped their level by two and West Ham raised theirs by two or, you know, whatever. Um, it Yeah, the, the first half was the first... 10 minutes the first half of the half i guess was so good because we looked like the sort of city team that was dominating the premier league for the last five years and every arsenal fan was sort of like oh my god if we can keep this up we will be flying." you know i think west ham fans are probably thinking how many is it going to be
0: yeah i don't i'm not sure if the the broadcast feed is the same from what you watched and what is here in the u.s but That period that you talked about with Thomas' party, how dreadful it was. The camera just kept panning to him over and over and over again. He was just doing, you know, making this motion that was just like, think, Thomas, think. And it was like, he just, he was just playing like, you know, he wasn't thinking. And that's sort of what, you know, with Luke, you already talked about the giveaway for the penalty. and, And time and time again, he was just making. The worst decisions are decisions that it would be, you know, if you put me at the base of Arsenal's midfield having absolutely no clue what to do and just panicking being like, I'm not a Premier League level player. I'm not a – like it it, it was just shocking how, you know, the intensity can just switch and go from being – everything was working perfectly. Maybe perfectly is the wrong word, but we were flying. We were – every. it seemed like everything was coming off that in that moment we could have gone on to score – 10 goals and it wouldn't have shocked me if we kept playing like that. And then in the blink of an eye, just the base of our midfield and kind of the spine of the team went away. And that probably is a wake up call for, our, for I guess us fans in terms of how the margin for error for what is a title winning team and, and what is West Ham is you know, potentially fighting and fighting relegation is it's, it's not as big as we like to think it is. And the difference in, in a lot of that obviously started with declan rice who you know potential arsenal future player and definitely somebody who's better than a relegation battled uh, a team um yeah it was just very frustrating uh luke do you have any thoughts on the first i guess arsenal dominant 20 minutes
2: well i mean that was arsenal wasn't it that's that's probably again the frustrating thing is that it wasn't an off day because we turned up we started playing the way that we've played for the majority of the season. We penned them back. We're playing amazing football, went 2-0 up. They look dead and buried. And then it just changes. And you know that's, that's the thing is that when you're working with young players, as I say, you can understand if they have an off day, but they weren't having an off day. They just stopped playing. And by the time they realized they had to start playing again, we just couldn't get back up to the, the maybe the rhythm or the tempo or that that we're used to playing at. Before we knew it, West Ham would... I mean, maybe dominating is the wrong word, but before we knew it, West Ham were the better side, looking more likely to get the winning goal. And I think when you're playing away from home, you have to have that respect in 90 minutes. That is Premier League. And I also think that when you're playing a team that has been as poor as West Ham has this season, you shouldn't need to to go through the the trials that we went through after going 2-0 up this is this isn't a team that is good do you know what i mean like I, I i respect west ham the past for what they've done like they have good players like paquetta is a good player rice is a good player jared Bowen is a good player this isn't a team that lacks names it's just a team that hasn't played well this season and they've not played well for the whole of the season i watched their game on thursday and they were terrible you know this this isn't um uh, something that we should have been having trouble with if, if you're a team that's going for the title and you're coming off the back of a um, largely dejected West Ham to the point where you go tunnel up in the first 20 minutes you don't let that go so it's frustrating because obviously it's a massive blow in the, in the, in the frame of the the title race because it means now we have to do things that we were hoping we we didn't have to do which is I feel in my gut that we have to go and get a result of city when I say get a result of city I feel like we probably have to win there now doesn't mean we definitely have to win there. If we get to get a point, and obviously if uh, if we're perfect, then that then you know mathematically that's we don't need a win. But I feel like you need that gap. I don't think it's realistic to expect Arsenal to be perfect, even if we draw of City. So I just feel that it's like I was saying before, if you're gonna not win the title, fair enough, but don't do it like this. It just it just feels like such a wasted opportunity.
0: Luke, I'm going to stick with you, and I want to talk about a couple of players specifically. And um, the first player I want to talk about is Kieran Tierney. And I think that this performance, I guess after the fact I saw on Twitter, there's a lot of people talking about how Tierney was our best player out there. And he had a really good performance, and I was kind of shocked about that because I thought that he was, to use the word frustrating, I thought he was one of our most frustrating players in that I thought he panicked a lot and kind of reverted back to reverted to what we know Tierney for is just booting the ball away and not having any sort of control and composure. And the substitute with bringing uh, Vieira on and, and putting Granitezaka at left back it, it, to me that kind of signified that like we may not see Tierney again for Arsenal. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that he's going to be sold in the summer and that he wants to leave. But just for the rest of the season, I kind of fed up with trying to use tyranny in the Zinchenko role when it's clear he's not going to do that, it, or he's not going to be good at it. He may try and do that, and you you mentioned a couple times. You know, he popped up as the nine, and and you know he he was he was there, and he was I guess doing the things that Zinchenko does, but not nearly to the level that Zinchenko can to do. do it. Probably, he, he, he was trying yeah. to. He was strolling around the right zones, but he wasn't, you know, Zinchenko enters the zone and plays in the midfield with that command. He commands the ball. He You know, he runs five yards away from Thomas party and says, give me the ball. I am the creator here. You know, I, I, playing the one twos, you know, pinging, pinging it around. Tierney's, you know, will kind of shuttle step into that area and kind of has that, please don't pass me the ball here. You know, I'm here, but you know, you can, you can do it. I'm, I'm checking off the box that I'm in this position, but I don't want that ball. If, if I do get that ball, I'm booting it. And, and yeah, kind of what is your take? And are, are you as aggressive on the, um, you know, to use yeah. a, a, a phrase, the, the tyranny out as <laughs> I am.
2: <laughs> I mean, I found him frustrating. I, I can't, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't, because obviously in the first 20 minutes when the whole team's playing well, I thought, oh no, he's getting on the balls. He's, he's, tidy at best I thought he was doing fine at that point but I feel like when the tide changed the game and players had to stand up and and actually kind of wrestle back control from where Stammy wasn't able to do that and I think especially as the second half wore on and they were kind of breaking us in transition he was getting getting back and making some good challenges as Tini does like one versus one jewels he was winning them like you don't really get past Tini very easily but there was points I think I completely agree with you in the sense that there was points that he'd win back the ball in a defensive third and where Zinchenko would maybe be brave enough to try and play out to create another attack because we need to win the game, he was just hoofing it off for a throw in, clearing it up the line, um uh, there was a problem there and I think that you can blame Tierney for that because he doesn't have the talent to or 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 maybe it's not really a talent thing it's just it's a mental thing where you know Zinchenko sees the picture which is why he's so progressive so when he's in these positions he's in these positions because it it makes sense for him to be in these positions I, I don't think that is the right call for Arteta to to try and kind of shoehorn Tierney into those areas because Tierney has different strengths and not, not I'm going to say that you should drop maybe like Martinelli for a winger that can maybe be a bit more effective on the inside and we go back to kind of what we were playing a few seasons back where Xhaka kind of goes into that kind of auxiliary left-back role and e is kind of providing the whip from the left and then where Smith Rowe used to kind of play in that inside half space but I think that it makes more sense to do that with Martinelli and get him playing on the inside even though it doesn't really suit him as much Then kind of play Tierney in that position because as I say it's, it's it doesn't suit his strengths his strengths are he gets up the line well his crossing is very good he can be a threat attackingly, and you know when it comes to transitions he can get it back and make those challenges but if it does is the the case that Arteta thinks that role is so important to how we play that he had to shoehorn him in then it is probably the that last nail in, in the coffin of Kieran Tierney's Arsenal career because if that's the job he has to do, it's not something he can do, and probably it says a lot about why Tomiyasu was referred was preferred to him in that position earlier on in the season when Zinchenko was out. Because it's, it's it's, I think that sometimes you have to be a bit more fluid, and you have to have a few more options. And whilst I'm not a fan of changing three or four moving parts to to kind of account for one, I do think that when Saliba's out and Holdings there, there is a certain technical ceiling that drops. And then when Tini comes in, Pizinchenko, the, the technical ceiling drops again. And when that comes, you have to have a, a few more answers because it just looked like after West Ham came into the game on Sunday, we didn't have any answers for that and we couldn't raise the level to match it.
1: Yep, I just uh, had, a, had a question. You, you mentioned him earlier. Was anyone surprised not to see Smith Rowe even off the bench i mean i don't know i was gonna
0: i was gonna bring that up in terms of oh, another yeah. player who it's very uh, ominous i think for his his arsenal future um personally i think i don't know I,
1: I thought i thought ahead of the ahead of the season that we'd sort of operate with a zinchenko martinelli double and then the other option is tierney Rowe because you know one plays on the outside one plays on the inside um and obviously, Smith Rowe has been injured for most of the season. But it just felt like if we're chucking on Fabio Vieira or Reese Nelson, why are we not chucking on a bloke who scored ten last season or whatever it was? It feels like either he's not fit enough, which is you know a perfectly plausible explanation, um, or he's not trusted enough in this system, which is you know another thing that, as you say, Justin wouldn't bode well for. Him. I love him. I hope he stays, but I'm a bit. I'm um, watchful about his future, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that. So to play a little like devil's advocate, if we remember how Arteta handled Gabriel Martinelli after he was coming back from his long injury, it was you know, he was clearly eased in really, really slowly. And so maybe that's the same thing. In in my opinion, I guess this is how I'm thinking about it. Maybe that's the same way that Arteta is handling. Emile smith Row. he's just waiting a really long time to kind of fully integrate him. And maybe we're at, there's seven games left. Like, me, you know, you haven't really played high pressure football for a long time, don't want to throw you in. The other guys like Fabio Vieira have, you know, been around and, and been at least maybe not playing, but, you know, training and kind of felt the intensity of the group for a while and you build off that. But I think it's pretty obvious that the way that Arteta speaks about Smith Rowe and has spoken about Smith Rowe throughout this injury is there's a little bit of come on like let's go you 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 gotta you know we gave you that 10 shirt whenever he announced that Smith Rowe had the 10 shirt he kind of announced it with you know Emil Smith Rowe wanted this shirt and we expect 10 goals 15 goals 15 assists or whatever it was and he kind of uses the the stick analogy of or the stick uh method of motivation where he's just like you know get your shit together let's go and it kind of feels like there's been a lot of that for a while and we obviously don't know what's gone on in training but it does kind of feel like a little bit of that trust is kind of gone luke i'm not sure if you have any other thoughts on yeah
2: that. but i do have fears about him to be honest and the, the fears kind of sprung up for me in the summer when we were linked to rafinha and then slightly after then linked to Mudrick and we knew that from what people like Ornstein were saying Arsenal were looking for a winger to me that says something about how the club feel about Smith Rowe because like I say in our current system where the wingers are very wide and the the fullbacks come very narrow and that whip is really important it feels like Smith Rowe doesn't really suit that role um, so as soon as Arsenal have been after a winger I've kind of thought you know, even when he comes back from injury, where does he really fit in this team? It's gotta be is, the left eight or nothing to me. That is, that is literally it. Is that that my, my fear is is that a player like Smith Rowe oh, right. with, yeah, I mean, the, the the good thing and the bad thing for Smith Rowe is that he can play a lot of positions. He can play in various areas. He can deputise for Odegaard, although it does feel like Fabio Vera is ahead of him in the pecking order for that right now. And even Fabi Viera is probably not getting the minutes he wants at this point in time. But. Um, uh, and it does feel like that left eight position is kind of going to be opening up because eventually as we look to evolve, that position could become available because obviously Xhaka getting into his 30s now, and um, maybe we want to go a bit more offensive than that thing. But it just feels like I'm afraid that Smithrow isn't going to kind of take that position. A player of Smithrow's quality isn't going to kind of be happy with playing rotation boy for too much longer, in my opinion. Obviously, I think that this summer he's not going to have any problems because he's been injured the majority of the season. He can't really have any complaints this season, but it's going to get to a point where he's not getting injured because he's not getting played to get injured and he's just going to kind of be there. And and I did find it a bit strange that he hasn't, that he didn't come on in the last game because I think that last season he proved pretty clutch in his goals. But I completely understand that, you know, he's had injuries, they're winning back. He had um, an operation to kind of hopefully cut out having any more long kind of term injuries. But for me, if we were to sign like Rice and, and another center mid, like if we were to sign Rice and Corsado, which to me still seems a bit um, probably outside the own possibility, but we could definitely sign Rice and possibly another center mids. If if that was to happen, then that to me feels like a lot of avenues to Smith row were automatically pre cut off because for me, Martinelli and Trossard ahead of him for the left. I feel like um, Saka um, is ahead of him on the right. Um, Nelson's ahead of him. Nelson seems ahead of him, yeah. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Nelson specific, uh, uh, specifically. Um, but it looks like he's probably staying from what we've seen reported. But it just feels like for a player like Smith-Rowe, who who is going to want to be, at one point of the time, a starting regular in a certain position, like everyone else in this formation, is. it feels like he's really going to have to grab one of these divisions with, with both hands. And at the moment, he's just not getting the minutes to do that. And that does worry me in terms of his future at the club.
1: I do wonder whether maybe um, the turnover in midfield will help him. You know, I wonder if the addition of Rice will mean that we don't need to rely so much on Granit Jacker to perform that sort of um, box-to-box role. And he's more as forward, not as a left eight, which might uh, suit Emile Smith a bit more. But I, I agree. It does feel a bit like his Arsenal career is very much on the, not on the brink, but you know he's he's got to make a decision soon. He's got to step up a bit, and it's really weird to say that because obviously he was so good for us last season, and you know he's half of the Bukayo Saka chance. So he <laughs> and he, he got the number ten shirt. More importantly, like he was given the number ten shirt, whether whatever Mikel Arteta said about it, he was given that shirt. So clearly at some point Mikhailata has gone, yeah, this is a player that I really want to make part of my team around, or be a big part of this team. So I don't know what's changed to him. It might be that we're all really into this too much and he's just still not fit or he's not quite understood the position that he needs to be playing in. But um yeah,
0: it doesn't look great, does it? Yeah, and like for the Bournemouth match, I believe it was, you know, he came on when Troussard got hurt, I believe it was, and you know, he played 60 minutes he had that assist for Thomas party and then we kind of thought oh maybe you know, maybe this will kind of kick start the re- his involvement for the rest of the season and kind of you know, he's been absent since then and yeah it's definitely interesting I think this summer is you know I, I doubt we'll we won't see any movement obviously because like you said Luke he's he's been injured so it's, it's time for him to, you know, kind of spend the summer and to get healthy, but next year will absolutely be a make it or break it year for him. And especially probably in, in the first half to kind of, like you said, have, you know, find one of the positions or one of the positional battles and kind of step up similar to really what Martinelli did in, in Smith-Rowe's absence is when Smith-Rowe got hurt, Martinelli came in and was like, no, sorry, this is mine. You, you got to find another position basically. And that's what happens, and we never know. You know, there could be other injuries in, in this summer or something like that. And Smithrow does the same. You know, th- there's a lot, a lot of twists and turns to be had. Ben, uh, I want to talk about Rob Holding really quickly again. I, there's been a lot of debate again, similar to Tierney, about you know, is Rob Holding, or was this loss on Rob, Ra- or th- this tie? On Rob Holding, and is he an absolute disaster? Should he ever play for Arsenal again? Or, you know, other people saying Rob Holding's not that bad. And it was kind of everybody around him. And, you know, Rob Holding's a good defender, mediocre defender, or whatever. He's a backup, blah, blah, blah. Where do you stand on kind of Rob Holding and, and the context around him, obviously, as a backup? And now it's been four or five games. And kind of that's where you start to see the level exposed. And was he as bad as everybody, a lot of people thought in this performance?
1: It was a it was a draw that felt like a loss, eh? I'll forgive you a Freudian slip. <laughs> um holding, where, where where do you even begin? I think he is a player that you need to make a lot of concessions to fit in. Um firstly his technical level's not as good as Saliba, we've already mentioned that. You can for the most part get away with that. But it's the you know, Saliba is Uh, absolute monster in that defense and i think you saw the first run Mikhail antonio had down the left-hand side you know rob holding got to him lost him ended up conceding a penalty free kick with a slight tackle just outside the box and i think it's sort of he doesn't do anything necessarily wrong obviously wrong you know he's not giving the ball away all the time or he's not He's he's tidy, but he's not he's not as good as Saliba and we need a player as good as Saliba there um, to make this team work. I think I read the Arsenal's defensive line and you know, for stats-wise, Arsenal's defensive line dropped something like four metres against West Ham compared to where it was when Saliba plays on average this season. So, you know, you have to make a lot of sacrifice and as Luke says, you then need players who are able to make up for that shortfall and losing Zinchenko in midfield means you've now got Tierney, who is has the same issue, but further forward and holding. And they're both, you know, it, it, you don't, I don't I don't think he's a bad player, but he is a terrible fit for what Arsenal are trying to do. At the same time, you then, you know, I understand the people that say, well, who are you going to bring in instead last summer when you were already bringing in Jesus and Zinchenko? You've addressed so many areas of this team, are you really gonna think are you really gonna think, oh we better sort our third choice centre back out? Um because you know the logic is that Ben White would probably fill in there if Tomyase was fit. So it's probably you know if, if we're He's trying really fourth to get,
0: fourth choice centre back. Yeah,
1: if if we're trying to get um Douglas Louise done on deadline day, we're you know, we're not suddenly gonna be thinking, oh we'd probably better sort that position I can understand in January maybe, but in January it's harder to do deals anyway. And we bought Kirill. So I think that he will get get a lot of stick and he is not up to the level of playing for this Arsenal side. Although it's not obvious when he's, you know, um, it's not obvious through everything he does, but it's the way that Arsenal play and the way that Arsenal build up that we need Saliba there or someone akin to Saliba and he's just not that. That's not his fault. It's just a fact.
0: Yeah, I think the best way to talk about Rob Holding is kind of, you know, it's not what he does that is the issue. It's what he does not do. That, to me, is the real issue. That in this game, I think you know, it's obviously compounded by not having Zinchenko. And with Salib and Zinchenko, you have, I'm not sure if it's exactly the two most progressive passers, but they've got, they're probably both two of the top three. And you know, we rely heavily, Thomas Party, Martin Odegaard, all of the, the other midfielders rely heavily on, what Zinchenko and Saliba do on the ball is, you know, to uh, to build a platform to allow all all of that in the right side. Odegaard, all of them to be creative and not have to have, you know, be coming and receiving the ball five yards off. You, you you never see Martin Odegaard dropping five yards away from Rob Holding to receive the ball. He's standing twenty five yards away because he knows that Saliba can you know fizz the ball into him and. and hmm or play it up down the line to uh, Jesus or Saka and stuff like that. So just naturally his passing range is larger. So that allows all the creative players to play in the creative zones, if that makes sense. And I just found a lot of times kind of similar to Tierney in in a sense where a lot of times the ball was played to Rob Holding and, you know, rather than kind of just controlling it and keeping possession, he would just head it, you know, do a little header 15 yards forward right back to West Ham. And it was like, that did nothing. Why, you know, if that was Saliba, you would imagine he would be able to control it, play it back to a uh, Ramsdale or Gabriel or, or something, and not just immediately give away mm-hmm. possession needlessly. And I think in a match where you you saw from the Arteta substitutions, we were just begging for some control in the spine of our our team. We obviously brought on Trossard, we brought on Jorginho because we needed some of that. Just rhythmic control. You saw as soon as they brought came on, those two together were just playing one twos off one another over and over and over again because it was just like let's just take five minutes and keep the ball. We wouldn't we'd never need that when we have Saliba and Zinchenko, obviously. And so I think a little bit of the discussion on both Tierney and Holding has to be done in combination because if Zinchenko is there, Rob Holding's you know his quality would not have been exposed or his lack thereof. And similarly with Tierney, I think if Saliba would have been there, we wouldn't have needed that central Zinchenko player because we would have been able to have Saliba and Saliba and Gabriel could have kind of filled in a little bit more and kind of compensated for that. But yeah, losing two of our back line and especially the two in the way that they play and how important they are progressively really did make make an impact. Luke, do you have any quick thoughts on that before we kind of wrap things up?
2: Yeah, to be fair, I think I agree with literally everything you guys said. It's just a case of when you look at how we play, does a, a central defender for Arsenal have to be fast? Yes. Do they have to be technically good? Yes. Does Rob Holding tick those boxes? Unfortunately, no, but that's not really uh, Rob Holding's fault because similar to what Ben was saying at the start of the season, when you look at the team sheet, we've, we're pretty well covered in that area. Cause like, as, as Ben said, if Tommy Yasu's not injured, then Ben White can slot back into, into that position. And Rob Holding doesn't really have to play in, if we didn't have kind of like those kind of freak injuries, then, um, uh, then we don't have to rely on Rob as much as we have for the majority of the season, especially like in, in the last month. Um, but it's also fair to say that I think one of our highest pass combinations yesterday was, was Rob holding to Aaron Ramsdale. And, you know, it's, I think it's quite fair to say that when your defender keeps having to go back to your goalkeeper, then there's a reason for that because he isn't able to find his progressive passes forward. And that's part of what hurts us. Um, I don't necessarily agree that people are targeting him because I think that, you know, we probably see a lot of target. Like, we play high-risk football. So we're always going to be targeted in those avenues because, like, it's hard to cover that space. But I guess the big difference is that Gabriel and Saliba, thought, and, and they've made mistakes for sure. Like, they've made mistakes because... a a defender that makes snakes in the system is almost a certainty over the course of the season because of how high we play and how much ground they have to cover and that's one thing you have to like take into account is that obviously like the martinezes and the Varans of the world where united that play like one of the lowest lines in league (laughs) they only have to defend like five yards at a time and they've got their mate next to him gabriel and saliba had to kind of defend the whole half at times um and obviously, you know, you have to drop the line a bit when Holding comes in. And it's just all those concessions, isn't it? It's that if Arsenal lose one player, you do feel like we can make up for it. Like, it's it's definitely not ideal. Saliba's been unbelievable this season. So for Saliba to come out and Holding to come in, it's not ideal. But, you know, we've proven over the past month that we can still dominate games and win games regardless of that. But when Holding comes in and Tierney comes in and then party is an off day, and then, like the rest of the team just don't really click. It just feels like there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of chain reactions that have just kind of led to to this and even though Rob Holding isn't you know the the bearer of the death of Arsenal's title challenge, he's definitely not, but he is, he is part of that. and I do think that when it gets to next season, we do have to look to obviously moving on and getting in a, a defender that if he's called upon for a month, month and a half next season is a bit more in terms of profile a bit more up to be able to kind of cover the likes of Saliba. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Luke, for uh, giving us the title for this episode there. And uh, with that, I think that's a good, <laughs> a good place for us to wrap things up Another here. positive podcast episode. Exactly. Uh, Rob holding the death of our ch- title challenge. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I, I'm, I know it was a very frustrating draw that felt like a loss and yeah, I'm excited, but, Nervous to see how the team responds from this and kind of see where, you know, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns in the next seven games and we will be with you all right through all of those, you know, ups and downs and hopefully culminating in a very large up. <laughs> My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Thanks to Luke. You can find him on Twitter at Echo and Ben. You can find him on Twitter at BenBrowning3. We'll catch you guys later. Joining in, and he's he sees Martinez. Extraordinary. Set it for Saliba. For Kylian Saka Beaten out by the and touched in by
1: Jesus. Uh-huh. Kylian